Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So, friends, we are in week two of a new series called The Case for Epiphany, where we try to convince you that Epiphany as a day and as a season is important and that we should observe it and embrace it and learn from it. So, Erica, where are we going today with Epiphany? So, with most holy seasons in the church and holy days in the church, there tend to be traditions that go along with it, right? You know, we have traditions around Lent and around Advent, um, but there's also some traditions that go with Epiphany, even though they often tend to be less known because Epiphany is a less celebrated day, at least in the Protestant side of things. Um, I think some of these traditions actually come probably from our Orthodox brothers and sisters. They're all things I've heard of, um, but nothing I have personally practiced. But we're going to be talking about things like chalking our doorways, um, burning the greens, and star words, not star wars. Because it's always <laughs> time to watch star wars. Yeah. It's not it always is. time to have star words. words. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I think we, we were talking about this before the episode started about how because Epiphany falls where it does, which is really quick. Cl- quickly after the start of the year starts January 6th that um that we like most pastors are still recovering from Christmas and just starting to catch our breath to think about Lent and so oftentimes this epiphany starts and then it's like oh no I was going to do something really cool like all of my colleagues seem to be doing ah man I missed it again this year yeah Uh, so so uh, you know these traditions are all really cool, but if your church community does not do it, do any of them, uh, that might be because your pastor's tired after Christmas. <laughs> and you, if you are a layperson, please feel free to jump in and lead one of these traditions because they are all really neat. Um, frequently, I wish I had the forward planning to think to start one in mm-hmm. my community until, but then it's always too late. Yeah. So. here's another another shameless plug then for us to think and maybe for me to tell myself next year get on this because as a season there is something that has the potentially something so joyful and life-giving and vibrant about the season that doesn't have some of the sometimes difficult baggage of lent honestly i mean like lent is very Mm -hmm. much starts out with you're going to die like we start with ashes on foreheads remember you are dust and to dust and again a message that's important and we got to be able to deal with that but that's a harder sell and that's a harder way to how do you talk about that and it's also good news it can be done but that's harder whereas man here's a whole season about the coming back of the light and people being invited to come and experience Jesus and Jesus calling us to be a part of his mission and inviting us and including it. Like there's lots of good stuff there that this could be a really exciting time. And sometimes what we need is just an activity, a, 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 a ritual, a something that helps us internalize that. And yeah, like I've, I've blown it so many times, not just getting but- too tired. But you you do a tradition every year, which is both has mm-hmm. light and is exciting 
and has a ritual, Steve. Will you tell us about this really exciting tradition that you do every year? Sure. And I, I readily confess, this is not our invention. This was handed unto me when I first came. But one of the perks, I'll say, of having um, a congregation that one of the congregations I serve is up on a hill in the middle of a pretty empty field with a barren uh, big gravel parking lot at our disposal and no local township regulations about open fires um <laughs> we can celebrate what is an already existing church tradition called the bruning of the greens and in years that we aren't having a worldwide pandemic we uh will have a special uh worship service called the epiphany bruning of the green service and um it is one more chance for uh, sort of the, it, its closure of the end of Christmas and the beginning of this season. We traditionally would have it on the day of Epiphany in the evening. Uh, and the burning of the greens, we take down the church Christmas tree and anybody else who wants to bring their actual live Christmas trees that they've used, we make a big old pile and have a burning of the greens. Um, I, I think honestly, this this probably emerged as a tradition. Certainly, in in whatever place it first emerged, it's it, it's not original to my congregations. But my guess is, this kind of arose as a way of ending Christmas, so that you didn't have the anticlimactic just watching the needles fall out of the tree in the sanctuary until it, you're like, oh, somebody better take that out. Um, but it gives a definite endpoint. Okay, we are done with Christmas tide. We're now into this next season. Um, and I, I kind of wonder if it's almost like a way of dealing with objects that the church treats as important enough to be in our worship space, have a sense of being sacred and that you don't want to just see them like go into disrepair. You, you almost like you're supposed to burn a flag that's beyond disrepair to, you know, put about its misery or a Bible. Like, you know, like it's almost like we're burning it so that it doesn't like just get threadbare and disgusting or something. I almost think it's that kind of, a, cause you don't use the ashes from the, the Christmas tree for Ash Wednesday. Those are the palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday become the ashes for Ash Wednesday. So some people will ask me if, Oh, is this where we get the ashes from? No, this is, we just, this is just pine ashes at the end of the day. Um, but we use that moment, again, when there's not a worldwide pandemic, of um, sort of retracing the story of God's people throughout uh, biblical history, from the light in the darkness at creation to the wandering uh, people in the, in the wilderness uh, with the pillar of cloud. And we tell the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire to the following of the Magi. And then after that prayer, we go inside because it is really cold to that point and have the rest of the liturgy inside. Um, but that that's part of that tradition and everybody gets to bring their little handheld candles like we use at Christmas Eve one more time till we you know uh, put them away until Easter vigil um but it's one more way to sort of celebrate that story uh of the coming of the magi but also the beginning of this season as one about light that allows us to see more clearly who God is and maybe even that that idea that the people of God are called to be um you know, lights to the world, lights, you know, like Jesus, you are the light of the world or uh, ancient Israel is supposed to be the light to the nations, that kind of thing. So that, that's our tradition. And it sort of ties up a number of things into a nice bow, ending Christmas and leading us into a new season. Does it have anything to deal with like the Yule log tradition? I don't know that. I mean, like the the like the Christianized version of right, right, right. I mean, like I, I, I'm aware of the existence of Yule logs. I've never heard anybody in the church where I have done the burning of the green say, "Oh yes, this is this also is our Yule log as well." And like, but it certainly could be in the further reaches or you know at whatever point some church said, "Hey, let's burn the Christmas tree because we're done with it." Um, that it certainly could have tapped into those other other 
you know, cultural traditions that do the Yule thing. I guess I think, you know, we're dealing with Christmas trees as phenomenon are at best, like what, 500 years old. I mean, like mm-hmm. I've heard stories that, um, Martin Luther is associated with the first lit Christmas tree. Um, I don't know how much older, I mean, and again, it's, it's only got roots in places where you would have pine trees and it gets cold at Christmas time. So it's a Northern, it's a European tradition and it's not, you know, this is not ancient, ancient, ancient. This may be several centuries to it. Um, And so it certainly could have by then taken on the flavor of, you know, European cultural Christianity with Yule logs and things like that from Scandinavia. That's possible. Yeah, but Yule logs were a uh, 12 days of Christmas thing. Yeah, like yeah. it was meant to be like from Christmas Day to the 12th day. Right. But so, Epiphany is the day after the 12th day of Christmas. Right. right. So it could be I, I don't know. whatever it's, we got. <laughs> it's a tradition I've never participated in. So I just was curious if, yeah. you know. Oh. This is, this is it, it's, a, it's a funny thing, honestly, um, because I'm not the most um, liturgically minded person. And, um, did not grow up with having much of a uh, church tradition around Epiphany the day itself. It was sort of like we talked about last time that whoops, between Sundays, last Sunday it was Christmas time and nope, now we're in the season of Christmas. Yep. And so it, all Epiphany would be when I was a kid was one of the hymns on some Sunday in January would be We Three Kings. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that would be it. And or brightest and best of the stars of the morning. Um, and that would be it. And we just move on to other stories about Jesus. But one of the things I, I kind of like about this this uh, place in my life is having been handed other traditions that were not mine and other people saying, these things are important to us. Would you carry on these traditions and to discover something beautiful in them that that it, it's not my home team ritual. It's not like, oh yeah, this, this is important to me, so I'll keep it going. But other people have said, this is important. Would you continue this? Um, and then to find ways to use that and to help uh, help it speak a new word or to breathe life into it for a you know, new time mm-hmm. and new new people so um it's it's always a challenge for me when we do it because it's also kind of there's no way around it that that epiphany is always going to be early january and that means it is almost always going to be you know blisteringly cold and very dark and that hill where the church is is on a spot where the wind whips around and the it makes the fire awful big but it also is nobody nobody's terribly comfortable for the time we're outside we see the fire everybody gets it that was cool we go inside and then we're glad to be warm um but there's something and i I guess i i think it's it's helpful too like Nobody thinks that we're impressing God with this. It's more like this is part of how we are restoried every year. This is part of how we remember this is who and whose we are. Um, and that God's been with us throughout all these times in generations past. And so we hold on to that as the way of saying, and God will you know, continue to be a light for us where we need it in the future. I guess for me, that that's the thing that I have come to find the most helpful about this particular church tradition at Epiphany is there's so many other really beautiful moments in our worship life throughout the church year where we do some of that like short form storytelling about how God has been with us all throughout history. Like I think at the Easter vigil, it's you know, like, here's a night where we retell the story from creation all the way up through Jesus um, of here's where God's been with us every Sunday in our um, communion liturgy. There's this sort of retelling of God's been with mm-hmm. us from the old days of the Israelites all the way up through the night in which Jesus was betrayed. And that we need that restoring every week. And so that the burning of the greens for me has become one of those moments of, in case you forgot it, here's all one more place where God has been with us. Uh, one more reminder of God, how God's been with us all throughout time. So I come from churches that typically have artificial trees, so we can't do burning of the greens. Yeah, without, without uh. some pretty serious... <laughs> 
chemical uh, fumes, huh? But there is a tradition that I always, I've only kind of recently have heard about, learned about, that I love, but I never have done. um, And I don't ever think about it until I've seen other people that have done it. I'm like, oh, crap, I should, you know, one of these years I'm going to actually remember. It's the chalking of the door frame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So since I've never done it, I kind of know a little bit about it, but it seems you guys know a little bit more. So tell us about this tradition, when it's done, how it's done, why it's done. So, so I've done it before. Have you done it, Steve? Uh, at our home, yes. And last year, um, I did a video for the churches about it and put it up. And then the Capitol riot happened. So nobody paid attention to that because the world was on fire. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I was introduced to it when I was serving near you guys. Uh-huh. My co-pastor, uh, Pastor Ted, really, really was enthusiastic about it. Um, and he would always do that. It, so it's part of a house blessing that mm-hmm. you're supposed to do yearly on Epiphany. He, I think we fudged it a bit and we always just did it during Epiphany Tide because yeah. it never felt quite appropriate to do it in worship for baptism of our Lord. So I mm-hmm. think we always kind of did it the weekend after. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would do the house blessing for the church mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. and encourage anybody of like, if you would like us to come and to do a house blessing for you, let us know. Otherwise this liturgy that we have, you can go and do in your own homes, mm-hmm. like ask us and we'll give you a piece of chalk or whatever, yeah. but it's a uh, taking chalk. And it is, it's again, it's a, just a small, like little liturgy and you like the the blessing starts with starts and ends with the year so it's always like um 20 plus and then i think it's cmb cmb plus and then um the last two digits of the year so this year would be 22 um cmb is both the names of the traditional names of the three magi so uh Caspar, Melchior, know. and Balthazar. Where Thank anybody you. got those names from, I don't know. But yes, those are the <laughs> traditional names. But it's also like Latin for Jesus's name. Oh, which, I, th- I thought it was Latin for Christ bless this house. Christus, or maybe Mansionem Benedictus. That. Yeah. So like it's, it's it, this is funny how like we've inherited these traditions and there's <laughs> multiple layers about what the letters mean. But yeah. Right. Like, because it's so, like, this is such an old tradition. It's in Latin. Yeah, like it's it's an ancient, ancient tradition. I think it's seen a revival recently in American Christianity, but it's been alive and well in other parts of the world all along. But there's something cool about the idea of that. This is asking God to bless our homes. And part of that is uh, and there's there's roots in why would you do this epiphany? It's it's a, a, a route back to the, the Magi when they come and visit, they finally they catch up with Jesus at a house. And but you know, by that point, he's not in the manger anymore. But it's, it's one of the few times you've got Jesus not like out on the open road, but actually in a house. Um, and that idea of asking for God's blessing on our homes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a cool notion, what, you know, any time of year, but this is, it's a cool time to do it now since we're starting a new calendar year. Yeah, so, and, and then you try to not erase the chalk on the doorpost until next epiphany. Is there a particular door in the house that you're supposed to do this on? Your front door. Okay. 
we but in church we've always used the door in the sanctuary mm-hmm. just because it's again part of worship so it's uh you're not asking everybody to get up and move to the front to, to wherever the front door is but like it's just the in the sanctuary what if you don't usually use your front door like i think it's whichever door you use okay so, so sorry your most used door so that <laughs> like, you table the, so you my see front it every door, day i go out my front door to get my paper every morning yeah. and that's it <laughs> like i'm going out my back door to let the dog out or going out the garage so you know because i'm driving somewhere this to me is a really important reminder that even uh traditions like this that could have the feel of magic because there's a little bit of a right and there's a foreign language and there's chalk like that this isn't magic which is to say like it's it the, the point is not oh you put chalk in your now no bad things will happen in your house but as a reminder so yeah pick whichever door you will go in and out most frequently as a reminder for you for the people who enter your house oh we you know th- we've asked god's blessing on us does that make it magic no is it if you didn't put mm-hmm. the chalk on this year everybody's gonna trip and fall on their way into the kitchen or somebody's gonna you know cut their thumb on the cutting board you know, like no it's not it's not magic but it's it's like a visual way of praying it's this this reminder we ask god's blessing on me in in this home in the year ahead and there's something i think powerful about that but also that reminder that it's not magic allows it to be oh whatever door you're actually going in and out of so it's like and i I would also say that it's not magic in the sense that if you don't do it the next year and you haven't erased the previous blessing i think that it's still there as a reminder Mm -hmm. um the my so my current call my predecessor retired in 2019 and I strongly suspect that she loved doing house blessings and chalking the door because there is um, a cut out piece of poster board above my office door that has the blessing 20 plus CMB plus 19 ah. right above my office door. And I am not tall enough to reach it. So I haven't done anything with it because I can't reach it without getting out of step stool. And I don't know where that is in the building. Um, But I've had so many people come and ask me, what is this? And it's like, oh yes, that that is a house blessing on my office from 2019. Um, But I still see it every time I go into my office and it's still a reminder of that blessing and of God's love and of asking that to be a visible thing in yeah. this space. It, it almost feels to me too, like, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative pejorative way, but as a, as a positive, like a way of trying to continue on the spirit of the um, Jewish tradition of putting mezuzah on your door. Mm-hmm. Like there's that reminder of like having the scriptures and echoing that commandment out of Deuteronomy and put, put the commandments, write these words on your doorpost. And, you know, and, and in, in Deuteronomy, it's, it's sort of a shorthand of like, don't forget these commandments in this way of life. Let it be so much woven into the fabric of your life that it's like, it's on your doorpost and on your forehead and everywhere you go. Um, but I like, I kind of like that idea that every part of our lives is woven through with, being mindful of God's presence and God's blessing. And I think the idea of, of using this to bless our homes is a helpful reminder too, that it's not that God just lives in church buildings or underneath steeples, but yeah, that we invite God to be present in our house and in our work and all these other places as well. Whether you do it with chalk or not, you know, that's a really important idea. And the chalk that as a visible reminder to me is really helpful as, as some, I, I need those physical signs. I need those, those visible reminders. 
Because I've gone through and I have like anointed the doorpost and, and the windows of my house and my church at different times mm-hmm. um, with anointing oil, which again, it's not magic or anything like that. Right. But um, often you, you don't see that after it's done, unless you right. kind of know where to look and you see like that little glistening of the light <laughs> right? where the oil, where this tradition, like you see that yep. mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's kind of, I, I think, why I've kind of wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and I know which door in this house, actually, I would do it over. It's this door to my stairs to my basement because I'm in and out of that door mm-hmm. six billion times a day. So um, I, I think that's kind of why I like this one um, so much. I just, like I said, I always forget about it. So, like after, and I guess, could I do it on a day that's not epiphany? Absolutely. But like you know, the traditionalist in me says, well, I didn't do it on Epiphany, so I can't do it. Right. Right, right. <laughs> and and for me, I would always say the season of Epiphany might be the best time. If you manage to get it the day of Epiphany, awesome. Yeah. But like, I would say it is just as relevant, well, any time of the year, mm-hmm. but especially if you're looking at Epiphany as a season, why not do it the third Sunday of Epiphany yeah. or after Epiphany, however you would like to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a, a tradition with some decently ancient roots, ancient enough that there's Latin in it. Um, uh, but maybe we could also talk about what seems to be an emerging, more recently arriving uh, tradition that some people associate with this season as well, uh, called the creation of or giving out of star words. This is this is such a fascinating thing for me to be to be watching because it's so new right Mm -hmm. like it's only been within the five last five or six years um I've never done it but having seen some of my colleagues post on Facebook like of their preparations like like it's just so crafty like as somebody who loves to craft like I'm I'm fascinated I think it's so cool but also I've never done it so because we're tired after Christmas. We are right. tired. Well, yeah. So comes back to this. This is the kind of tradition that requires a little more setup, a little more preparation. The idea is kind of like latching on to that um, more secular tradition of people choosing a word to be their word for the year. That's going to be their focus, you know, and, and some folks uh, get into that and will they'll choose a word that's going to be their, you know, guarding, guiding word for the year. Some people will ask somebody else, pick a word for me. Other people will say, pick a Bible verse for me for a year, whatever. Um, but the idea with star words is somebody at a church, presumably a pastor, a, a leader of, of some kind of programming and ministry will write a whole bunch of words on stars, whether they're printed on paper or painted on plywood or a little crafty wood or poster board or something. And then everybody who wants one gets one. And it's meant to be, again, sort of like something to follow, kind of like the Magi following the star, you know, at Epiphany. And then this is meant to be that this, let this word be something that helps guide you. And then again, these are not meant to be just random words, but theoretically words of faith, you know, love or trust or guide or imagine or praise, you know, things like that. Um, and again, the idea would be it's, it's another visible reminder of 
God's guiding me still, you know, that God didn't just guide people a long time ago at the star, that God continues to guide us in our lives as well. And there's, there's something about that that I think is, is an important connection to make. Sometimes we treat the biblical stories like, yeah, that's what God used to do, but now you're on your own to make decisions in life. And it's important to say, yeah, if we trust that God led Abraham and Sarah, you know, from, uh, the, from their old, old country to the new land or led the Israelites or led the Magi, sure, we, we trust that God can continues to guide us, even when it seems really confusing uh, how, how we navigate in this life. That's an important thing to hold on to. And if a little visual reminder can help us, good. And, and I think also, like, if you, you use it to focus your reading, like your Bible reading for the year, like, I think that that has the potential of being really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, especially if you're somebody who always makes it a goal to read the Bible in 365 days, mm-hmm. like, to have a word that you're trying to focus on as a way to like give yourself a new lens for that year so it's not just oh yeah today just like this time last year I'm reading Genesis 25 through 27 again I like no instead you are taking say your say your word is peace So you're looking for all of those times that God has brought peace or alternatively has challenged peace. And why is God challenging peace in this moment? And how, how is that reminding me that just because my life isn't peaceful right now, maybe that's for, for a particular reason. And Mm -hmm. what could that reason be? Is it because my neighbor isn't feeling peace and I should feel uncomfortable by that and feel called into advocacy? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I I don't know. I think Star Wars words, Star Words (laughs) has a potential of being really hokey and it has a potential of being really, really inspirational. And it's going to all be how you look at it and how it's framed and Mm -hmm. how you use it throughout the whole year and not just epiphany. I think you've said it so well that any of these traditions have the potential in them to be fantastic helps for our faith or to be hokey or just trite or just um, you know, rote memory. We do this every year because we have to and, and lifeless. And the question is, how do you choose to use these? Um, I think, I think sometimes, honestly, sometimes I think uh, Protestant traditions can sometimes look at church traditions and say, well, these, you know, these aren't in the Bible, therefore they're not important and we shouldn't do them because they're not in the Bible. And on the other hand, you can be so concerned about doing the tradition right, you don't care about whether there's any life to it. And in this sweet spot in the middle of, yeah, having giving out star-shaped pieces of paper with words on them is not in the Bible. Could it be something that helps engage my prayer life or my reading of the scriptures? Yeah, it could be a tool. And if I can use it in that way, great. And if I try it and it's not very helpful, okay, I, I it's not a commandment of God that I have to. <laughs> um, but I think that that freedom uh, can be really helpful for us so that we don't feel like I'm not allowed to because it's not in the Bible, but also not treating any of these like magic. I feel so inspired to try to remember to do new stuff next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll see if I actually remember <laughs> to yeah. do any of those cut things. Out, cut out your stars now, Sarah. Yeah, set yeah, up aside somewhere. And if we if we put all of our stars with the Christmas decorations next year, then come next November, we're gonna like, yes, I did it. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> 
we in our house we when we take our christmas decorations down um because we're never quite sure that they go in exactly the same boxes they went in before we put little notes on our boxes saying like in 20 in the last year here's what you put in last year here's how you mm-hmm. did it in case you forgot here's what you did and we'll leave little notes to ourselves like you're welcome or this you know we threw out a strand of lights last year you're gonna have to buy another one you're you know yourselves from the past um but like yeah, we might want to do that in church life, too. I think it's cool for us to talk about this as a tradition that is so new, because it's, it's a reminder that tr- church traditions come from somewhere, mm-hmm. and that even things that have been done for a long, long time that everybody assumes we've all done forever, like Christmas trees, those had a beginning, same thing with Star Wars as well, and that we're at the beginning of watching what is potentially a tradition that could go on for you know generations or could peter out, but that it's okay to watch new things begin. And that that also means even things like new songs can become old traditions as well. Yes. Thank you, Steve. Um, I, I especially love that because the ELCA has a new hymnal and I don't have a physical copy of this, this hymnal, but I keep seeing on YouTube colleagues who have recorded themselves singing one of the new hymns and usually like a month or two out before it is seasonally appropriate so that like people can hear it and think oh yes this is a fantastic hymn I'm going to include it in my worship service during whatever season it is like I think there was an advent hymn that I did this for and now there's an epiphany hymn that I think is just the most beautiful hymn ever. And it is to the tune of of a father's love begotten. So we already know the tune. It's a well-familiar Christmas hymn, um, but it's called In a Deep Unbounded Darkness. And it is just beautiful. So in my attempts to have this become one of those traditions that in a few generations people will go, oh yes, we've always sung this hymn. Um, I'm going to share with you the first first verse because I want you to fall in love with it too. In a deep unbounded darkness, long before the first light shone, you, O God, beyond all merit, worked a wonder faith makes known. In your mercy, in your mercy, you embraced us as your own evermore and evermore. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the whole, like there's four more verses and it's just beautiful. Like, and it's two of a father's love begotten. So what's not to love? Um, but yeah, I think that having this hymnal come out has really reminded me that just because we've always done something one way, doesn't mean that it has to stay that way, that there is room to include new things like new hymns, um, that we shouldn't just always reach for the ones that we know, but also include new ones because the new ones might speak to us in ways that the old ones can't um, or haven't. So yeah, epiphany hymns. I haven't really ever paid attention to epiphany hymns before now, but this one has really tugged at my heartstrings and um, made me aware that, oh, I need to actually pay attention to epiphany hymns because they can be beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and especially when you get past 
just the storytelling hymns that are keyed into one Bible story. Sometimes people, and again, we talked before about the, there's a handful of hymns about the Magi. So, you know, We Three Kings of Orient are is one of the, a lot of people know it, but it's keyed into one story when one day and basically walks you through what each of the Magi brought. Um, but yeah, to be able to explore more deeply the, the, the imagery about how, how Epiphany is about the, the light coming into the world like at creation and the way John uses that imagery to talk about Christ coming into the world. And uh, yeah, that, that, that can be such a, a, such a rich set of images to explore. Um, and yeah, the, the, absolutely beautiful to, to find new words to do it. We had talked years ago, we did a, uh, an episode uh, at Christmas time about the story behind Silent Night. And even though mm-hmm. everybody now, you know, in American culture thinks that song's been around forever, uh, you know, th- that was written hastily because the organ wasn't working and somebody wrote a hymn, you know, sort of with very little downtime. What can I, what can I write? What can we sing that could be played just on guitar? And that, that that uh, idea that it was put together because there was that need and that a new song could become so beloved is a reminder to me that, yeah, sometimes we need somebody Bill and Willa to take the, the risk of learning a new song um, and then it becomes a favorite. In the congregations where I serve, it was Epiphany Tide that another one became a favorite for us that I happened upon by accident. I was stumbling through our hymnal in, I think, around Christmas time and found one. It's The text is by John Ilvesacker, um, and it's called um, Drawn to the Light. And it, it's, again, not literally only about the day of Epiphany, but we often would use it at our Burning the Green service. Um, and the text is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the, the idea about being... Um, uh, drawn to the light of God uh, comes back over and over and over again in that hymn text. But it, I had a similar experience, just like you described, Sarah, of wanting people to, oh my goodness, so beautiful. I want to share this. And this was a season where people were a little more willing to experiment because it's not their Christmas Eve service where they must sing these three hymns or it's not Christmas Eve. And that's another beautiful thing about this season is that maybe because some folks are not as attached to particular traditions in it, there's more flex or openness for us as worship leaders and preachers to invite people to try new things, and then they can become beloved favorites. Any other epiphany season um, traditions that we should explore or talk about here today? This isn't an official one, but epiphany is always when I get ready for Lent, so (laughs) Lent is coming. (laughs) Yeah, like preachers we've talked about, like you're always like one season ahead is at least ideally we're one season ahead. So yeah, while we're also trying to convince people, pay attention to epiphany, preachers are also like, oh, we're also going to have to do Lent soon. (laughs) Especially when I take vacation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That too. Yeah, rest up from Christmas and get ready for Lent. (laughs) Well, we're going to be spending the next several weeks in this series trying to get to know Jesus more deeply in this season in different ways that the the biblical writers help us to get to know who Jesus is and what matters to him. Uh, So we invite you to join us in these coming weeks here in our uh, our series, Making the Case for Epiphany Tide here on Crazy Faith. See y'all. All right, bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.